Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. Our prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy this week's message by our guest speaker, Kyle Hobson. Has anyone ever done a hundred dreams list before? Yeah, you've done one? <laughs> I have a hundred dreams list, which is really hard to do a hundred dreams and list out all the things that you dream about because you get to like 10 and you're like, wait a minute, I have, do I have more things going on in my life? <laughs> one of the things on my hundred dreams list was uh, to learn what makes God laugh. I was like, surely he has a sense of humor. If you've read the Bible, there's a lot of funny stories. (laughs) And one of the things, this week, I think I got to learn what makes God laugh. And I think it is our plans. (laughs) I think he thinks it's hilarious when we come up with a plan. We're like, we're going to do this. (laughs) When I have a message and a bunch of things that, I could share today, and he's got, he's up there like, (laughs) I got a different plan for today. (laughs) So everybody say, I've got plans. I I say, God has plans. (laughs) That's true. That's true. If you listen to him, he will interrupt. (laughs) So I'm going to need the the Lord's help with this message. (laughs) Lord, we invite you into it, and we say, just have your way. That your mouth, your, your words, your truth would go forth. And Holy Spirit, that you would direct, you'd orchestrate, you'd do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in that moment, I, I'm going to bench what I had to say. <laughs> and I have another message here. Uh, and it's so funny. Actually, I'll tell you the story. So last week, I was praying about what to share, and uh, I had this, it, was anybody here the first time I talked? Yeah? Do you remember what it was about? <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Wasn't that good? No. Uh, <laughs> Zerubbabel, you remember that ring a bell? <laughs> and it was this deep cut. It was like Old Testament, minor prophet, deep cut, and, and like I had to do a lot of explaining. So this, I was like, if I ever get back up there, I'm going to do the most basic message. <laughs> I'm going to preach on John 3.16 or something like basic. <laughs> and then I actually had a good message ready for John 3.16. And then the Lord spoke to me on Monday this week saying this really obscure minor character from the Old Testament. <laughs> he wakes me up and he says, Abimelech. Does anybody know who Abimelech is? Okay, nice. Got a few. <laughs> Uh, he is, he's one of Gideon's sons, um, which if you listen to Pastor Jamie's message last week, he talked about Gideon. And to me, this was the Lord saying, maybe you need to continue these. But then this morning, the Lord, <laughs> he's talking again to me and he's saying that the, the, the for God so loved the world message is what I want to share. So... This is a message about John 3.16. I'm sorry you don't have any of the scriptures. <laughs> but I actually want to start this message in Genesis. Hey, you know the story of Abraham, right? 
I like to read the Bible and ask myself, why is this person's story so important? What do we need to learn from it? What is it that the Lord's doing in, in this person's life that I can take uh, and apply to my life today? Because this is like thousands of years ago. So let's read in Genesis 22 if you have your Bibles. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took, on, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering, and he set out for a place God had told, told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy I will travel with a little further. We will worship there and we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham. <laughs> he says, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar of wood. And Abraham picked up the, the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Everybody say, only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw the ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And then it goes on, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my name, by my own name, that I will certainly bless you and will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of your enemies and your descendants all of the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed. Thanks for reading through that with me. So I was talking to the Lord about what's, what's, so, what's so significant about Abraham. And there's a, there's a key in this that he, he showed me that Abraham, if you know the story of his son Isaac, they're in their old age, he and Sarah, and they're praying for a son and Isaac, in their old age, he get, God gives them this son. So he's called the son of promise. He's the son of promise. So here, I, Abraham has this child that is a symbol of what God has done in his life. And then the Lord says, bring him and sacrifice him. What a test. What a test of his character. So I was talking to the Lord. What, what is this? What does this mean for me? And he says, 
Abraham I made the father of nations because he was willing to give up his only son. And that's what I had to do. God had to give up his only son as a sacrifice for you and I, Jesus. If you think about the Lord's heart for Abraham, he had to do what he knew later on in history he would have to do himself when he sends his only son, Jesus, to earth to be the sacrifice for you and I. So God stops Abraham in the middle of this act and says this, I'll provide for you on this mountain and I'll make you the father of nations. Through him, we have our our history of faith. You know, uh, Paul, and I think it's Ephesians, he says, he goes to these churches and he's preaching and he says, I've determined that I'll forget anything but Jesus. I'm just going to preach to you Jesus. None of the theology, none of the things that I could talk about because he's so educated. He knows it all. He could. But he said, I'm determined to just talk to you about Jesus because if you understand that, if you understand who Jesus is, (laughs) it all changes. He's the centerpiece of history. He's the centerpiece of your life. So for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So why did God send his son? It's in, the answer is in the, the sentence, because he loved. Out of love for you, he sends his son, his only son, just like Abraham had to do, because he loves you so much. Do you understand that today? Do you, in, in worship, as we are doing baptisms, we're celebrating Jesus and we're feeling what he's doing in the room, the real time he's talking to each of us, right? His love doesn't stop. What he did those years ago, it continues. And today we still feel his love that is unstoppable. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And then in Acts, um, you know the story where Jesus, he dies, he is born again, and, he, and then the, the disciples are in the upper room. And they're worshiping, and they're praying, and they're pressing in like Jesus said. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes in that room, right? Like fire, it rests upon them. So here we have this picture. For God so loves the world, he sends his Son. And because Jesus so loved the world, he sends his Holy Spirit. Jesus, he said, it's better that I go. It's better that I go. The Savior of the world said, better that I go, that I might send the helper to you. His love compelled him to go so that we could have the helper with us. Acts 2 is another symbol of his love for the world, that he comes and he falls on us with that same passion and fiery love that Jesus carried, that you would carry it. Now he leaves us with one, one question left, right? Do you love the world? <laughs> Do you love the world the way that Jesus loved the world? His mission was to equip you. Salvation isn't the end of your story. It's the beginning. 
Salvation starts the journey of your story carrying out what he did in you, just like he did. <laughs> this was another message that I kind of had brewing. Do you know the word Christian doesn't show up in the Bible uh, only but three times? The word Christian is in here three times. <laughs> When they started to follow Jesus, they called them of the way. You know, Paul was persecuting those of the way. Um, and it was at Antioch, this place that they were uh, ministering, where they started to call them Christians. And it was almost a derogatory, sarcastic comment that, oh, you're just a, a Christian. You're behaving like the Christ. You're behaving like that, that man. And they would do that for other names like Herod. They would say, you're just a Herodian. So because of the early disciples looking like Jesus, behaving like him, they got the title Christian. Are you wearing the label Christian? Or are you looking like Jesus? Are you, <laughs> are you putting on uh, that Christian and, and walking around and just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian? Or do people see and experience the love of God through your life in such a way that surely this person follows Jesus? Surely this person is one of his followers. You're acting like this guy I know. And I think this is, this is something we need to do as a church. I think we need to start looking like Jesus because they know him. The world, the world knows Jesus of him. But they're looking to see if, if we look like him. <laughs> do you love the world? Do you love the world? And this, is, this actually makes it pretty easy for us. Um, there's a lot of words. There's a lot of theology that we could study in this Bible. But when you have love as a motive and you carry that into your city, into your workplace, into your homes, and love is your motive, you don't have to get hung up on the theology. <laughs> you don't have to wonder if if you're in the right, because perfect love casts out fear. There's no, there's no law against such things. When you show love to the world, you know that you're doing it right. <laughs> and the fruit of love is kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, patience. I, I was wrestling uh, once with a friend that I, I had that was, um, had cancer, and, and I, I felt like I needed to pray for them, but I had this, I, I could feel like this tension inside of me for fear uh, that like, what if I call him and, and uh, it doesn't work? Or if I'm like off-putting, I'm calling him at a wrong time, he's about to go on an appointment or something. What if, I, what if I say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing? And so I felt it like paralyzing me in action. And this is when the Lord said this word to me. He said, let love lead. In those moments when you're feeling that fear, that the, held, the holding back, that love makes it easy. What would love be doing when someone has cancer? Love would be running. Love would be running to them, embracing them, being there for them. There's no fear in love. Love would go straight to their door. <laughs> that picture of the prodigal son returning home and the father running through the field is what I have in my head of what love looks like. It doesn't care the right, the, the, where they're at in life. It doesn't care like 
to get hung up on the fears, it just runs to the hurting person. What else am I going to preach about today? (laughs) Sacred time. Hmm. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that your love was your motive. <laughs> your love was your motive. And you came to the earth out of love for your kids to draw more to you. And I pray that that love, just a revelation of love on these people today, that we would have a fresh sense of your love for those around us, that we would see them through your eyes the way that you see the little children and you see the hurt and the broken and the widows, that we would see them through your eyes and be a vessel through which your love could just encounter the world. Mm. Yeah, my other uh, message, actually, I'm going through all of them here. (laughs) My other message was about, uh, so Abimelech and his story is, is not really a good one. Um, he goes on to, he wants to take um, the title king. So after Gideon passes away, Abimelech wants to become king over, this, uh, over the nation of Israel. And so he kills his competition. He kills all the brothers of Gideon, uh, and he takes that position. Uh, and so I was like, what do I learn from this, Lord? And it's a story in humility. Like when we carry humility, we don't need to promote ourselves. The, the Lord grants favor to the humble. And Abimelech was chasing a title. And maybe you have titles uh, in your life. He, he wanted to be king. He wanted to be seen as someone uh, powerful. But the title doesn't change if you're powerful or not, does it? I could put king on here, and it doesn't really change what's inside. I could have a name tag, and you could put a name tag on you. I've had a lot of titles, actually, in my life. I've been a chef, which is hilarious. I'm not, I'm not a chef. <laughs> you don't want me to cook. <laughs> I, it was in a movie theater kitchen, actually. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional heater-upper. I can use the microwave. But they called me chef by title, which is not... <laughs> The title doesn't change if you're good at it or not. <laughs> I worked in a, a pet store once when I was younger. You could call me like a professional hamster wrangler. <laughs> the title doesn't change what's in, does it? You can put that label on there. You could call me uh, a president. Putting the label doesn't change what's inside. Abimelech wanted that label, king. But what's inside wasn't king material. <laughs> Pastor Jamie talked about um, David. And if you draw a parallel to his story and, and Abimelech's, Abimelech, he chooses through power to take the throne, to take that label. And David, he's actually anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king and then proceeds to spend years and years and years not being king. <laughs> but growing in favor. What does he do? He shepherds. He's a shepherd. He continues to do that and have victories over the lion and the bear. He then has a victory over Goliath. 
And then for years, Saul, the, the king of the time, who is after David, Saul's chasing him. David's hiding. And there's a few moments where he puts Saul in David's hands, doesn't he? He, he says uh, there's like a cave where David, uh, he removes part of Saul's garment just to prove that he was close to him and he could have taken his life and taken the throne, become king, right? Did he do it? He didn't. I actually have a verse I might be able to use here. <laughs> Let's see. It's in Samuel. Ah, can't find it. But so the, what I'll paraphrase happens is David says uh, something like, far be it from me that I should hurt the Lord's anointed. Far be it from me that I should hurt this, this man who's pursuing me to kill me. He says, far be it from me. That is the kind of character that God is hungry to promote. <laughs> When you're not going to take the throne, even when it's handed to you on a platter, that you'll push, you'll just say, no, no, no. This is going to happen on God's timing, on God's watch. Far be it from me. Hmm. Your title doesn't determine your influence. Uh, I, I once had an employee that... Um, actually felt like they needed a specific title because they're like, if I could just have that title, I would be, I could go to these meetings and these people would listen to me. I could go to these meetings and I could actually influence the decision. I could be welcomed into those tables where they're making the important decisions. And I actually saw within her this character that was powerful. And that's what I think is, is tragic sometimes about titles is if we get hung up chasing that title, you don't know that you actually already have it. You already have it in you to do the thing that's on your heart. You have it in you to influence. What titles are you thinking of in your head? Like there's, there's all kinds of titles. Like stepdad, is that a title that you're thinking is limiting you in your influence over the children? Um... Like retiree. Is that a label that says you no longer have influence? These labels don't actually change what's inside. Don't let it limit what God wants to do in your life. <laughs> there's more, there's more, there's more. God has a plan for your life and it's for good. And he's still doing these things. And we don't want to miss those opportunities to increase our influence in the cities and in our homes that we're planted in to steward, to increase. It's the parable of talents. Like he's giving us something to steward and increase, right? It's, it's increase what we're trusted with. I want to run the race, the race well. Run the race well. <laughs> Remember that. <you> know? <laughs> run the race well. Um, Here's my, my last, I'll, I'll make two points here. So the kingdom of heaven works from the inside out. Like when you adopt these, this character of a child of God, it works inside of you to create the kingdom of heaven around you. So uh, I'm going to read a parable, Luke 14. I actually have this one, Chad, thank you. 
So it says in Luke 14, this is Jesus talking, and he's actually in a Pharisee home. He's in the home of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. And so he's, what I love about this is he's bringing some conviction to people who are like the board of directors of, of Christianity at the time. <laughs> he's like stepping into the lion's den and bringing some some humility to these guys. So it says, and he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Hmm. Can you imagine that? You go to a wedding and you just sit next to the groom, the bride and groom. <laughs> you take the, pl the place of honor. That doesn't work, right, in society. You can't really do that. Uh, you can try, but it'd be embarrassing. <laughs> you can go sit in a place of honor. And why is it? It's not really a rule that happens when you walk up to a wedding and they're like, hey, just as, so you know, unless there's like place settings, but just so you know, you don't want to sit, you know, just anywhere. There's systems of honor anywhere that there's authority present. Anywhere in your life where there's authority present, there's a system of honor at play that you have, you have a choice to enter into. Yeah. In your jobs, there's authority present, and there's a, an honor system that you can choose to enter into in humility. Even in your homes. Kids, there's a system of honor present <laughs> in the homes. If you honor your father and mother, it will go well. So seat yourself low and let your character promote you. Don't take the higher spot. Let your character do the work. Here's my, my last point. This one's a little bit, this is the secret in growing, to grow in humility if you want to get better at it. And I'm pretty good. I'm like the best in this church. <laughs> I think I just lost the title right there. If you want to grow in humility, it works from the outside in. I'll explain. I have never found it to be a beneficial mindset to think, look at me, woe is me, look how lowly I am compared to those around me. I've missed opportunities or I've, I've been beaten out for things. Like I've never found that mindset to produce humility. It actually produces a selfishness, a focus on myself. I think it's a form of self-pity, which is, which is a rough thing to have. and It's a nasty root to pull if it sets in. So humility isn't going super low in your life and looking so much at yourself. Humility comes when we look to those around us and see them as valuable. It produces humility in yourself when you start to see those around you as having kingdom value, eternal value. Jesus modeled this for us so well. 
when, he, when they were bringing the children to him and they said, the, the disciples start rebuking them and they say, don't bring the children, that'll distract. What did Jesus do? He said, welcome the children. The kingdom of heaven belongs to these. <laughs> he modeled this so well. We're talking about washing the feet. Even though he was king of kings, lord of lords, walking the earth, he washed the feet of his disciples. He saw the value in those around him and honored that. And in so doing, we see him as the most humble man, right? So when we look to the outside, to those around us as valuable and hold them in that place of honor, it produces humility in us. That's how you get better at it. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Ah, oh, church, if we do this, what does that look like? What does that look like in our communities? What does it look like in your homes if we esteem others as higher and actually see them the way God sees them? It's not our job to judge them. It's not our job to bring them down a notch. It's our job to lift and exalt and see the gold in those people around us. Hmm. I think I'll, I'll wrap up there. If you can stand to your feet. Um, my heart today is that we would have the eyes of the Lord for our communities that we're planted in. That we would see them the way that Jesus would see them. That we wouldn't miss a person, that there wouldn't be a person that we miss because Jesus values them and cares about them. So Lord, right now, I pray for the, that you would give us the same heart that you have for those around us. If it's our homes, if it's our workplaces, Lord, bring conviction for the places where we haven't shown love to the world. Hmm. That we would lift up those around us to be higher, to call them higher, Father. And we thank you for this kingdom principle that as we lift others up, we see your favor, that it increases in our lives, that there's a, an ability to receive when we hold it with open hands and just give freely to others what we see in them. Uh, today, I just pray if there's any, uh, any parents that are struggling with this, this uh, this humility. Father, there'd be a grace over parenting in Jesus' name. There'd be grace over raising kids in, in homes where there's honor present. There's, there's a connection between the generations because honor is present in the homes, Father. Give us a grace to raise children in homes where we understand kingdom humility and walk in it so that the world looks on and sees, oh, I want what they have. Hmm. Man, we just pray today. Holy Spirit, you're producing in us the kind of character that Jesus carried. Yeah, and I bless your people today, Father, that you would just bless them mightily as we go, Lord, that we would see the abundance of life just flowing from the windows of heaven over us as we go into our week. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Let's give a clap to the Lord. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It is our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or by sharing it with your friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, 
We would love for you to connect with our community. Please visit iTheHouse.org for more information. See you next week.